Servant of God, Thea Bowman, once said, I know that suffering gives us new perspectives and helps us to clarify our real value. Perhaps suffering stops us in our tracks and forces us to confront what is real within ourselves and in our environment. Welcome to the 45th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want everyone to realize that suffering, while something we wouldn't wish on ourselves or anyone else, gives us a unique opportunity to figure out what's truly important in our lives. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, Grace sent in a topic. Could you talk about attachment styles and how people's early childhood can affect their ability to form relationships? Of course, thanks for asking. Attachment theory was developed by psychiatrist John Bowlby in the late 1960s, and its most important tenet is that young children need to develop a relationship with at least one primary caregiver for normal social and emotional development. Thank you, Wikipedia. Basically, infants seek out the attachments of a caregiver in a stressful situation and become attached to adults who are sensitive and responsive in social interactions with them and then remain consistent from about six months of age to about two years of age. The response of these figures in these relationships leads us to develop different attachment styles and four styles of attachment have been identified. Securely attached, anxious, preoccupied, dismissive, avoidant, and fearful avoidant. Securely attached is uh, linked to a high need for achievement and a low fear of failure. Those with anxious, preoccupied attachments seek high levels of intimacy, approval, and responsiveness from partners, becoming overly dependent. They tend to be less trusting and have less positive views about themselves and their partners, and they may exhibit high levels of emotional expressiveness, worry, and impulsivity in their relationships. Dismissive, avoidant folks desire a high level of independence, often appearing to avoid attachment altogether. They view themselves as self-sufficient, invulnerable to attachment feelings, uh, and not needing close relationships. They need to suppress their feelings, dealing with conflict by distancing themselves from partners of whom they have often had a poor opinion. And then fearful avoidant individuals have mixed feelings about close relationships, both desiring and feeling uncomfortable with emotional closeness. They tend to mistrust their partners and view themselves as unworthy. I hope that helps a little bit to paint the picture. On to the next topic, Kristen dropped by with this question. Do you have any tips for deep breathing to relieve anxiety? Is it a good idea to combine with prayer or no? So here's my first important point to remember. Deep breathing for anxiety is an excellent coping skill, but we have to remember that this is only true before our anxiety turns into a panic attack. Sometimes I think we don't get into our coping skills for anxiety until it's already become panic, and at that point, it's too late. There's nothing left to do but ride it out until our body naturally starts to slow down because it's physically exhausted and it can't be panicked anymore. The next point, it's a really good idea to practice these coping skills when you're feeling totally fine. It's the practice when you're feeling okay that helps you prepare to be able to engage in the coping skills when things start to get 
difficult. All that to say, we have to learn to be attuned to when anxiety is starting to be triggered and slowly starts to rise, and then jump into those deep breathing and other coping skills for our anxiety instead of waiting until it's too late. Square breathing is one method that I really like. You begin by slowly exhaling all of your air out, then gently inhale through your nose to a slow count of four, hold at the top of the breath for a count of four, then gently exhale through your mouth for a count of four, and at the bottom of the breath, pause and hold for the count of four. As for praying, heck yes, this is a great idea. I've often used deep breathing and prayer together. One I like is breathing in while saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and then breathing out while saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pick your favorite prayer and go for it. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm here to introduce you to Saint Elizabeth of Portugal. In 1271 into a royal family, Elizabeth showed enthusiasm for her faith early on, praying the office daily, engaging in fasting and other penances, as well as attending Mass twice each day. Few can reach such awesome Catholic levels. She was placed into an arranged marriage at the age of 17 to King Dennis. According to Wikipedia, Elizabeth quietly pursued the regular religious practices of her youth and was devoted to the poor and sick. Such a life was taken as a reproach to many around her and caused ill will in some quarters. Eventually, her prayer and patience succeeded in converting her husband, who had been leading what she considered a sinful life. She had two children, and this story blew me away. In 1323, Elizabeth mounted a mule, positioned herself between two opposing armies on the battlefield in order to prevent the combat, and thus peace returned by the next year. She joined the Third Order of St. Francis, went and lived at a poor Clare monastery, and would help the poor from her cell as she lived out the rest of her days in peace and service. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Father of peace and love, you gave St. Elizabeth the gift of reconciling enemies. By the help of her prayers, give us the courage to work for peace among men, that we may be called the sons of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Marie gets us started. What is a good Catholic but mentally safe way to approach willful estrangement from a sibling? Because this is now my life, and I'm 99% certain I'm making the right choice, thanks therapy, and 1% have quote, I am my brother's keeper, end quote, guilt. Let's start by praying for Marie, her sibling, her entire family, and everyone living through the difficult experience of the estrangement of a sibling. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.
Thank you so much for sending this in, Marie. I know a lot of us ponder this question over and over again, and it'll be good for us to discuss it. It is true that we are our brother's keeper and that we are called by Christ to lay down our lives for others and help them and love them unconditionally just like God loves us. However, God does not expect us to destroy ourselves in the process. We have a responsibility to ourselves and our immediate family as well, and we cannot put our own mental health, emotional well-being, or safety at risk, not to mention the mental health, emotional well-being, and safety of our family. God does not call us to be doormats who continually get hurt by someone and then keep coming back for more. He calls us to do our best within our means and then leave everything else up to him. We also have to remember that we make the best choices for ourselves and our family in the moment with all the information we have. So it's really unfair for us to second guess ourselves days, weeks, months, and years down the line because we can't possibly remember all of the different things playing into our decision at the time. Lastly, and we've talked about this quite a bit before, in a situation like this, we should try our best to leave the door open for the relationship to start again in the future down the line. Once our loved one gets help, gets sober, gets therapy, whatever the case may be, that way they know we love them. And by keeping the door open for reconciliation once things get better, we are truly representing Christ to them. Katie is up next. Several years ago, my brother, after years of mental decline, had a psychotic incident and was hospitalized. While psychotic, he destroyed every crucifix in my father's house, pulling them apart, etc. I spoke to a priest shortly after this who said that people in the state sometimes destroy what is emotionally closest to them. This was comforting at the time as I was worried about demonic possession. Do you have any experience with this kind of thing? And what are your thoughts? My brother is now on medication and able to live by himself. However, he still has many struggles with his mental health. Please, please stop what you're doing and join me in praying for Katie, her brother, her family, and every family walking through this difficult experience. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. I truly hope that our prayers make a difference for your brother and your family. Here's my thoughts. When one is experiencing psychosis, they're typically left trying to figure out where these experiences are coming from. Typically, they're hearing voices or feeling paranoid or thinking that people can see them, hear them, read their thoughts, send them messages, things like that. So, so when they try to figure out why this is happening, uh, it usually connects with uh, A, God or spiritual beings, or B, the government. Because these are both entities that have the ability to do these kind of things, right? Either God by way of being all-knowing and all-powerful, or the government by way of having a technology and spying things that we don't really know about. You see, these, these are kind of true things that, that we can look to, that we get connected with when we're kind of uh, entering a state of psychosis that we, that we grab onto to figure out what's happening to us. So I can't be sure, of course, but it could be that the psychosis was connected to God for your brother or spiritual beings, and his hope may have been that the act that he was engaging in would stop the voices or experiences he was going through. Perhaps he was hearing like commands to destroy those crucifixes or holy items and and perhaps he thought that it was God or or a spiritual being and was and was being compliant with them, right? So 
All that being said, while I tend to try hard not to over-spiritualize mental illness, we do have to remember that demonic issues are real and can look like mental illness and need to be considered from time to time. It's just far less likely in my opinion. But I'm so glad to hear that he's on his medication, doing better, and only hope that it continues in that direction moving forward. Anonymous brings us on home. A few days ago, a friend came to me with a troubling prediction about what's to come in the future. The prediction itself isn't what I'm asking about, but it has left me rattled. There's been a discomfort in my stomach, and it's distracting me from the joy of everything. I can't fully appreciate a conversation, a sunny day, or even a TV show without thoughts about the prediction corrupting the experience. I can't tell if what I'm going through is a mental health thing, a God thing, a whatever else thing. Uh, I know many saints underwent serious mental and physical distress in their lives, so it's not completely unreasonable to me that I might undergo it as well, though personally I doubt I'm holy enough for that. I'm unsure of what I can or should do in this situation. Should I seek help, talk to someone, pray about it? I don't even trust myself to do that, as I'm afraid I might just interpret my thoughts to tell me what I want to hear. So let's all join together in asking Mary to intercede on behalf of Anonymous and bring peace into her heart this very day. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I'm so sorry that you're facing a situation where your peace has been robbed, and I truly hope that our prayers bring peace to you as you go forward. As for what you can do, I think it really depends on the prediction. When I've faced anxiety over something like this, I typically like to take some time to write out a couple of things. Number one, let's say it comes true. Is this uh, such a terrible outcome? Will I survive? Will I be able to weather the storm? Number two, is there a more rational explanation for this friend having a seemingly uncanny ability to predict the future? Is it more rational to think that there may have been some coincidences that seem to line up rather than this friend actually having this ability? Number three, what types of coping skills or distractions have helped me in the past? Have I tried them in this situation? Is there someone I trust who I could talk to in a non-professional way about this? Have I brought this back up to the friend who let me know about the prediction so that I can tell them how that prediction has impacted me and get their thoughts? And lastly, it's always a good idea to reach out for help, for therapy, and to start engaging in the process of working toward wellness. So don't feel like you have to reach some certain level of anxiety or fear or discomfort in order to reach out for therapy. Therapy is a good idea for everyone. I mean, I'm a therapist, so of course I'm going to say that, but I really mean it. And in terms of prayer, don't worry if you feel like your prayer wouldn't quite get at the situation precisely uh, as it is for you in reality. God knows our hearts better than we know them ourselves. And simply the act of reaching out to him has the power to change our situation, but more importantly, change us and how we approach the situation. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.